What is up, good news? It is so good to be back. I'm thankful for the time that we have together. It's been a while. For those of you who are joining us most recently, after a couple weeks, I uh, found out that I was positive for just a little, little illness that's been going around. You may have heard of it. But thankfully, I have recovered fully, tested negative, we're all good to go, and I am back at it again with my white Vans. You can't see it, but I'm, I am wearing white Vans right now, actually. So welcome to our live studio audience. Guys, it's so good to be with you, and we're going to dive right into it. We just finished a series on God's promises, how you can hold on to God's promises. We're going to hold on to those scriptures as we go through the year. If you want some of those resources, you can always go back and catch our archived messages at youtube.com slash gncvictoria or our podcast link anchor.fm slash gncvictoria and just this year i joined a beta program where we're able to upload these videos to our spotify channel as well so you can go to spotify and search good news church victoria and we'll pop up and you can watch and listen because if you're like me you hate it whenever you turn off your screen and youtube stops playing it's just the worst thing ever so Spotify has solved that problem. I just upload it. You can listen. You can watch. You can do both. So I'm excited about that, and I'm excited to be back with you all. Let's go ahead and start this week in a word of prayer, shall we? Lord, thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you for Jesus who came to live a perfect life, die in our place, raise from the dead, give us victory over every situation that life tries to bring our way. God, we thank you for today. What we're about to learn, that we would let it sit in our hearts and that we would chew on it and really put it into practice this week. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Y'all already know what it is. I actually, that's a, a line from one of my songs coming up on my third mixtape. Burnt Tortillas Volume 3, due out this fall. So we're bringing the heat. We today are going to be starting a new series, as you probably saw from the title screen, called Valleys and Peaks. Valleys and Peaks. And so I want to start off with a little illustration. Have you guys ever gone to a sporting event and then there's this crazy mascot and he comes out and he does this thing? We're going to do the roller coaster. Have you guys ever done the roller coaster? Yeah, so we're going to do the roller coaster right now. And you guys at home, you're going to do the roller coaster with us as well, okay? So you have to mimic what I do and we're going to act like we're on a roller coaster. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay, so if we start off with our hands on the rail and we're going to lean back and we're all going to say click, 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 click. And now we're going to go over the top. You ready? So you follow my lead. Here we go. And we come back to the stop. Oh my goodness, I need to catch my breath. So the roller coaster, and the only reason roller coasters are fun, unless they have like death-defying loops, is because there are peaks and there are valleys. There's ups and there's downs and there's G-forces and gravitational pull. It feels like your stomach's in your throat. You know what I'm talking about? I actually, I'll share this fun story. I went with a school, I think it was student council or somebody. We went to Six Flags Fiesta, Texas in San Antonio. And I got on the, I don't remember if it's called the boomerang or the cyclone or something. You loop and then you go backwards and then you loop and then you go backwards. And so I got on and I didn't want to lose my glasses. So I took them off and I put them in my pocket. But while we were doing our little loopsy daisies, they fell out of my pocket. 
And so me and my friend, we were looking along the ground, and we're like, where are my glasses? I felt like Velma from Scooby-Doo, right? My glasses, my glasses. And I couldn't find them, and I'm like, I need my glasses to find my glasses, and that's the worst feeling in the world, if you know what I'm talking about. And then I have a hunch, just a little hunch, and I ask the operator, can I check the car in which I was seated earlier? And he's like, yeah, man, go ahead. So I look, and the glasses are still on the roller coaster because of physics, because of the centrifugal force. My glasses stayed because of gravity and the g-forces in the seat of that roller coaster. So that's a pretty safe roller coaster, right? Because you know you're not going to fall out. My glasses weren't even buckled, and they didn't fall out. I feel pretty safe on that roller coaster. It's the same uh, physics experiment if you've ever gone to a Dairy Queen and they flip your blizzard. Well, the centrifugal force keeps kind of the ice cream going up, and then they bring it back down. I used to practice when I worked at Dairy Queen for two years with a glass of water. I was a blizzard ninja. I could make an Oreo blizzard in 15 seconds flat. And then I'd flip it, just like that, just like that. A glass of water, and the water would not come out because of the G-forces, right? Just like the roller coaster, just like my glasses. Yeah, just like that, right? Nothing came out. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, in the beginning, I, I spilled some water, but I got really good at it. So speaking of roller coasters, roller coasters are fun because they have ups and downs, and we love it, and we enjoy it, and we're like, yay, ooh, ah, ooh. <laughs> and then we get off, and we're like, oh, I'm queasy. And it's funny to me because we love roller coasters. Now, some people are scared of roller coasters. I get that. I was scared of roller coasters for a long time. But we love the ups and the downs, and it makes the ride more fun. But then when it comes to life, we always want to be up, right? Nobody likes the downs in life. And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, both the ups and the downs of life and how God is with us every step of the way. And I heard somebody put it this way. If you kind of imagine with your hands, like if you've ever stuck your hand out the window of a moving car, right, and you just play with the wind and you're like... So you think about this. If you go down, then you come back up, what is your frame of reference? Well, you say up because you've been down. But if you say, oh, well, I want my life to always be on the up. If your life is always on the up, it's actually just flat. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not up unless there's a down. And it's not down unless there's an up. So I want you to keep that roller coaster dichotomy in mind as we go into this week's scripture. And if you'll go ahead and flip with your Bible apps to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to start in verse 20. So 1 Kings 18, I'm going to read 20 through 30 in the New International Version. And let me set the stage here. So this is the prophet Elijah, and the nation of Israel has been worshiping false gods. They've been sacrificing to weird things and shrines, and they've been messing around and sleeping around and basically cheating on God because he has a covenant with them. And the king is all about it because his wife at the time, her name was Jezebel, and she was like, I don't like God. I don't like all his rules. I'm just going to wild out, and nobody can tell me what to do with my life. So the whole nation was like, we love this. Let's go do this. It's crazy. I just want to mess around and, and waste my life and worship these other gods. And so Elijah was like, you know what? That's enough of that. We're going to have a competition here. And the Lord instructed him to do this. So what happened was they built two altars 
And they killed two bulls, and they put one bull on each altar, and they put fire, and he said, Whoever, whoever's God answers our prayers is going to be the true God. So that's kind of setting the stage here. We've got this amazing competition that's about to happen, one of these roller coaster way up high, high points in Elijah's life. So I'll go ahead and start reading in verse 20. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel, not Caramel, like my favorite, a macchiato. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? Like that roller coaster, you take a turn and you're like, oh, whoa. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, the false god, is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them in verse 22, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And verse 24, then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. I love this. I love this scripture. I love the way that he set this up because everyone in the world has their own ideology. Everybody in the world has their own worldview. And everyone's out there saying, yes, queen, slay, speak your truth. And Elijah recognizes there is only one God. And he's setting the stage right here. We are going to walk through this life. We're going to have the exact same circumstances. We're not going to avoid things. Life is not a Disney movie. You receive Jesus into your heart and then live happily ever after, and then you just sing, let it go, and we don't talk about Bruno or whatever. We're going to go through valleys and peaks in this life. And I love how Elijah sets this up. Call on the name of your God, your God. And I was reading something the other day on Twitter, which is kind of a dangerous place. I don't advertise Twitter a lot because there's not a lot of redeeming stuff on there. But somebody put this, and they were quoting a minister. So the minister quote was great. The Twitter stuff, maybe not so great. But it said this, A false god is anything that you turn to and say, save me. And that was so powerful. Because I've seen people who wrestle with alcoholism. And anytime there's something tough going on in their life, who do they turn to and say, save me? The bottle or the can. And there's people who struggle with sexual addictions. And anytime that they're going through stuff in their life, they think, oh, I just need to to get some physical pleasure, save me. Or there's people who wrestle with uh, arguments or always being right. And anytime something comes up, they have to win the argument because they look and they say, I am gonna save myself. I'm gonna win this argument. I'm gonna have the last word. Anything that you turn to and say, save me, that's your God. And so Elijah says, all right, we're gonna put our altars where our mouth is. So you call in the name of your God, I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. You know it's got to be a miracle for that to happen. Then all the people said, what you say is good. In verse 25, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. You guys want to know what happened next? All right, I'm going to pull up the next scripture so we can keep reading. So verse 26, so they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. 
Now, for the Israelites and their specific calendar, that's like three hours that they were doing this. That's a whole Avengers movie long. Can you imagine someone just shouting for three hours? Yeah, yeah. Spider-Man No Way Home was like two hours and 40 minutes. Pirates of the Caribbean 3 was almost three hours long. Imagine going to the movies, sitting down, and just watching 450 men dance in circles and scream. That's, that's a horrible movie, right? Still a better love story than Twilight. Now, they called out, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. Verse 27, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be wakened. So he's having some sport like, hey, nobody's coming, guys. You can keep doing this, but it's not going to make a difference. Verse 28, so they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. And I'm going to pause here and share with you a little something, something, a little deep theological truth here in the youth class. False gods will always demand blood. False gods will always demand blood. And you know how people say whenever they sacrifice for something or they have like a dream, they say, I've put three things into this. And what are those three things that they always say? I put my blood, sweat, and tears. That's exactly right. And why do they say that? Because anything that you make priority in your life, it's going to take blood. Whenever people who say, you know, blood is thicker than water, they actually mean a covenant being made is more important than your family. I know people mix that up and they think blood thicker than water means family, but the phrase, the water they're talking about is actually the birth canal. Like when a woman's having a baby and she says, my water broke. So people who make a covenant, because anytime in the ancient world you made a covenant, you had to shed somebody's blood, whether it was animal sacrifice, whether you cut yourself and you did a handshake and your blood brothers now, there's always gonna be a shedding of blood whenever there is that level of commitment. Whenever husbands and wives get married, there usually, physically, technically, is a shedding of blood, but we'll talk about that at another time, and I'll let your parents know ahead of time so no one's surprised. Whenever Jesus had to pay our sin price, he had to shed his blood. And false gods will also demand blood. And I was listening to a podcast the other day. I've been really working on filling myself with scripture and interpretations and listening and direction and I need to be prepared before I give out the word so my personal revelations I write down and then I hear the word and I hear other people minister the word and I just keep putting it in so that I'll be able to also share with you and one of the things that I had never seen before that this minister was uh, illuminating for me was this the reason that Jesus had to come through human form was to purchase us back And the reason that Satan has no power over us is because Satan has no blood. Satan never inhabited. Now, we understand demonic possession and that kind of spiritual warfare stuff. But Satan himself has never embodied a physical human form and shed his blood. Which is why we are redeemed by what Jesus did. In the book of Revelations, the Bible says we overcome the evil one by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. When adult John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the ancient world, they understood this sacrifice thing. There's always going to have to be a price 
for what you want from your God. So they're cutting, literally cutting themselves, which is how we know that self-harm is, in fact, demonic. It's an attack of the enemy. When people cut themselves, what are they doing? They're calling out to their gods. I want this pain to stop. I'm going to cut myself so that someone, something can come save me. Now I know that it's a very complicated scenario, and maybe you have heard of someone or you know someone who's dealt with that. I'm not saying they're possessed of the devil. I'm saying that the enemy will lie to us to the point where we have people shedding their own blood, calling out, asking for help. And that's what the prophets of Baal are doing here. And Elijah realizes, no one's coming, dude. Your God's not real. There's no life there. There's no power there. There's no salvation there. Verse 28, they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until the blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. So they've been at this all day long. But there's no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Verse 30, then Elijah said to the people, come here. Come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. And if you keep reading, you'll see that he poured water out on this bull. And again, it's supposed to be a burnt offering. And they're in the middle of a drought. It's been a drought for three years. And he's like, Pour some water on there. So they poured a whole jug, a barrel full of water. And he did that three times. Three barrels of water when there's no water. That's crazy. And so he prays and he said, Lord, show these people what's up. Fire comes down from heaven. Now, we don't know if it was a meteorite. We don't know if it was a result of some volcano somewhere. What we do know is that God answered his prayers. And the altar, the wood, the stone and the water was all burned up. So the nation of Israel saw that God answered prayer. And that's what I want to tell you guys tonight. God answers prayer. The false gods that we cry out to are not going to save you. If you think, well, if I just have a relationship, then that'll save me. Or if I just have enough money, that'll save me. Or if I just numb my body with drugs or alcohol, that'll save me. Or if I just put on this mask, and I'm cool enough or funny enough or happy enough or I have enough friends or enough followers that will save me, there will be no answer, even when your false God asks for blood. But when God answers, he answers in power, and he burned up everything on that altar, even though it was wet. Even though in the natural it did not look like this was possible, God answered Elijah's prayer. Because he instructed him to do that. The nation of Israel repented. They turned around and grabbed all 450 of those prophets and killed them with swords. And then the king was like, man, my wife's not going to be happy because all of her false gods are not really working. And so we're going to see what happens is Elijah goes from this amazing victory. Think like state championship. He just showed out and everyone's like, you the man. You know what I'm saying? Like he just he came through and he was victorious. But then the next chapter, the very next chapter, we see that he heads into a valley. So go ahead and flip on over to 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to read verses 4 through 8. So Jezebel, she hears about this, and she's like, he killed all of my prophets. 
Kind of reminds me of the villain from Despicable Me. He punched my shark. And so she says, I am going to kill you in the next 24 hours. The most powerful woman in that culture at that time said, you are going to be dead by this time tomorrow. And Elijah gets scared because he's like one of the only prophets left. He's like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? That's just like Order 66 with the Jedi. I mean, they're after me. They're going to kill me. Verse 4, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He's on the run. This man is a fugitive. He came to a broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Verse 5, then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And that's a word for some of us, right? Sometimes we are having a day and we are just saying things that we don't really mean. Maybe we just need a nap, right? (laughs) Any of you guys ever work with babies and you're like, this baby fussy. Like, this baby needs a nap. Right here, 1 Kings 19, after winning the world championship prophet title, you know, he's got the belt. Oh, from the top rope. Elijah's a fussy baby. He fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And that's another thing. Maybe sometimes you're like, maybe your blood sugar's low. Maybe you're cranky because you haven't eaten anything. That's a phrase known as hangry. Yes, (laughs) you guys know. So keep that in mind whenever you're dealing with God and you're like, well, God, what about this? And God, what about that? And God's like, take a nap and have a snack, okay, before I put you in timeout. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then lay down again. And verse 7, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. And I love how this structures this, right? Elijah was told, God is going to answer your prayer with fire. And then he's on a journey, and God is still providing for him. God is giving him what he needs to go where God is sending him to go. The way Pastor Reuben likes to sum it up is where God guides, he provides. Verse 8, so he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. So there was a journey here, right? Elijah on the top of the mountain, literally on the top of the mountain, Mount Carmel, not caramel, like my favorite, the macchiato. And God was there, and there was this explosion of just answering prayers, and the people saw it, and man, that just feels so good whenever you're, maybe you've gone to a conference or a summer camp, and you're like, man, God was there, and I was at the altar, and I was just like, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. And then you come home, and you're like, now I'm the one in darkness. And I'm trembling. And I just went to camp and I'm like, oh, God, you can have it all. And then I come back and somebody slid in my DMs. I'm like, oh, no, it's the devil. The devil's in my DMs. Blizzock. So we we have Elijah here. He just came down off of Mount Carmel. And now he's like, I'm going to die. Those are two very opposite extremes. He says, I've had enough, Lord. I'll share this story with you guys. It's one of my more embarrassing stories. I'm okay putting this on YouTube. But growing up, the, my sister and I would sing like special songs and stuff. Because you know, Hispanic church, singing specials, it comes with the territory. And so there was one time where we were singing a song and I just, I was so nervous. I had stage fright. Some of you probably can identify that you love, you know, being silly or being cheesy or being funny. But whenever you're in front of strangers, you're just like, mm. 
And that was me. And they're like, sing the song, mijo, sing the song. And I'm like, mm-mm, mm-mm. And the song was about something about having joy or the joy of the Lord. And there's this part in the song where it says, I've been bitten by a big old bumblebee. And so I'm supposed to laugh. Ha, 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 Something along those lines. I think those are the lyrics. And I just wouldn't, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't. And so Joy, of course, my older sister, is just so embarrassed. And she's like, how could you do this to me? Like, this is, this is our performance, not just you. And she's just like, mm. And so finally I give in. And out of nowhere, I just start the laughing part. <laughs> right? Like, not full-on Joker, you know what I'm saying? Or like the Green Goblin. <laughs> but it's like a, a happy ha-ha. And so everyone's excited and like, oh, sing it again. So we do the, the twice. And then Pastor Rosie is so blessed by this. She's like, oh, it's such a happy song. Sing it again. And with the microphone in my hands, guys, I look at her. I'm like four or five years old. And I say, no, that's enough. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I know. I'm so embarrassed right now. I'm starting to sweat. So, and Sister Minga remembers. She tells me all the time. She goes, you remember me, huh, when you told Pastor Rosie, no, that's enough. Because <laughs> she has that laugh. I don't even remember, like, I, I remember watching this happen on VHS, which is like a cassette tape that you put in this square and it like reads this magnetic tape. Yeah, so many of you know what a VHS is. But I don't remember being there. I, I guess I just blocked that traumatic memory out of my mind, being in front of the entire church and not wanting to sing and then singing and then being like, no, that's enough. And I, I empathize with Elijah here, right? Like, God. I just had this amazing victory, and I thought everything was going to be great, and we killed those false prophets who were sacrificing to false gods. But now, somebody's out to get me. And isn't that how it usually goes? We have this mountaintop experience. We think everything's going great. And then all of a sudden, we're in a position where, wait a minute, God, I'm not on the mountaintop anymore. Where are you? If I'm doing your will, Aren't you supposed to bless me? If I'm doing what God wants me to do, isn't it supposed to be easy? God, if you're with me, aren't I supposed to have victory? And here he is on the run because they put a hit out on his head. And now he's in the valley. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am done. Throw in the towel like Rocky IV, right before they kill Apollo Creed. And he's like, throw in the towel. That's Elijah right here, right? <laughs> Throw in the towel. And he needed a nap. He needed a snack. He needed to be reminded that God is going to take you where he said you're going to go. And at the end of today's scripture reading, we come back and he reaches Horeb, the mountain of God. And I find this interesting that there was provision in verse 7. He ate and he drank in verse 8. Verse 8, he ate. That. Ah. You thought he ate. And he was strengthened by that food. This is what the Bible says. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights. It doesn't say that he ate again. Isn't that tough? Isn't that not a scripture that we want to read, right? What you mean he only ate once in 40 days and 40 nights, but he got where he was supposed to go? Because it would be so much easier for us to say, and then God woke him up, gave him a little shoulder massage, and scratched his back, and said, okay, mijo, hold my hand. Here we go. There was an instruction, and then there was an expectation. And I'll say that again because we're not children's church, and this is a hard word, but you guys can handle it. You can handle it. 
There was an instruction, and then there was expectation. God didn't tell him twice. He fed him, he sustained him, and he said, I'll talk to you when you get where I need you to go. That's tough. Because we want instruction. We want reassurance. We are like the person who goes and takes a couple steps and they turn around like, am I doing this right? Am I okay, God? Are you going to affirm me? Because we're so used to being accepted and so used to being sustained by God. But there are times in our lives where he says, I've told you what to do already. I'll talk to you again once you've gotten it done. And that's tough. That's not the grandpa God that we're used to seeing where he just showers blessings or the crazy uncle who always shows up and goes, oh, I got something for you, mijo. That's not how God works because God's not a man. It's hard for us to kind of understand the attributes of God because he's not a physical person. Now, we understood the personality of Jesus and how he ministered, but in this instance, God said, Elijah, I just walked you through this amazing victory. And what happens the next day? He starts freaking out because there's resistance to God's calling on his life. Well, God, what about this amazing thing? And here I am in the valley. I've had enough. You just had a nationwide victory. You just won the national championship of prophets and the title belt. And here you are saying that you want to die. <laughs> so God's like, take a nap. Eat this food. Now go where I told you to go, and I'll meet you there. We don't know what happened during those 40 days and 40 nights, but we know that he was sustained by God. And that's my encouragement to you guys. As we go through life, there will be times when you have incredible experiences. We're getting ready to go back to Discovery Camp this year. We're going to talk about that later. And that's so exciting, right? So we go to Discovery Camp in the summer, and we're so amazed, and then we go back to school and have our heart broken. We go to Discovery Camp in the summer, and we're like, oh, God delivered me from this. And then we go back to school, and, oh, there's that friend, and they're not going to let me forget that one thing that I did that one year. And they're like, oh, you say you're a Christian, but, you know, you did this, and you did that, and I saw what you did, and I know what you did, and I know who you are. And the enemy tries to kill our victory. He tries to starve our witness. And if all we do is depend living mountaintop to mountaintop, then all we're saying is, God, you're only good when I'm winning. God, you're only powerful when you show up. God, you're only God when you do what I want you to do. And that's the temptation that leads us to false gods, instant gratification. Well, if I give in to this one person because they like me and I'll go out with them and, and I feel that desire for love, but I know that God's called me to this place, but it feels like it's 40 days and 40 nights away, and God, I would have thought by now, and how come you haven't given me this victory that I've been praying for in my body or in my relationships or my family? Some people say, well, how come y'all are still renting, and how come you're still setting up and tearing down? And Well, if God was with y'all, wouldn't he? Wait a minute. God told us to go somewhere. We have an instruction. There is an expectation. We need to be faithful, not just on the mountaintops. Because it would be so easy if all we did was win, 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 no matter what. Because we would just keep our hands up and they'd stay there. Right? I don't know. I just thought of that right now. But it shows maturity when we are willing to trust God in the valleys. Because people say, there are some people who take it to the extreme and they say, well, God placed me in this valley. Well, God put this sickness on me. Well, God's testing me because he killed one of my relatives. That's not who God is, and that's not what God does. And people who sincerely believe that, they need to realign their vision of who God is. 
Because God doesn't kill people to teach you a lesson. God doesn't make people sick to teach you a lesson. God understands where we are in life, and as that kind of stuff happens, he is with us. Elijah went out into the wilderness where there were no people, but God was still there. There was a message for him. There was an instruction and then an expectation. And I want to ask you today, as we bring today's message to a close, what has God told you to do? We love the victories. We love the discovery camps. We love the conferences, the retreats, that one song when you put it on and it just puts you in the presence of God. But what are you going to do when it's dry? What are you going to do when you're tired? Are you going to rest in the Lord and say, you know what, I'm going to go to sleep in peace. I'm not going to have anxiety. I'm not going to replay every email in my head and every reply. And what did they mean by this? And what does she mean by that? And how come I had to say this in response? Or are we just going to sleep knowing that God's going to take care of it? Are we going to say, oh God, I'm so tired, I'm so tired, I'm so tired because we haven't been fueling ourselves with his word. Jesus said in the New Testament, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And some of us don't want to eat what God's given us. If you've ever had vegetables when you were a little kid and your parents are like, you don't get dessert until you eat your vegetables. And you're like, Bleh, broccoli. And sometimes the things that God tells us are not the things that we want to hear. We say, well, God, I don't like that, but it's what we need. Well, God, I, I want you to give me an option B. I want to have victory and victory and victory, and I want it to be easy, and I want it to go the way that I want it to go. I want you, God, to be made in my image, not me to be made in your image. That's not how God works. That's the kind of thinking that leads us to false gods. False gods that make us think, well, okay, well, if I'm strong enough in my body, then I can handle anything that comes my way. If I have enough friends, if I have enough followers, if I have enough people who idolize me, I'll be my own God. I can handle it myself. But there is instruction and there is expectation. Maybe right now you're in a valley in your life and you think, I haven't heard from God in a while. Well, what's the last thing he told you? Because maybe you haven't done that yet. God is waiting for obedience. And we say, well, God, you know, if you're real, then show me and, and give me a sign and, and give me everything that I want. And God is saying, I've given you what you need to do what I've called you to do. So I want to pray with you guys, those of you here and those of you watching. We know that life is so much more than just ups because you can't perpetually go up. There has to be ups and downs. But we know that the valleys are not punishment. We know that the valleys are not desolation, that God hasn't abandoned us. Even though he was in the desert, even though he was out there where it was dry, there were no people, there was no provision, God met him there and said, I'm going to give you what you need to go where I'm sending you to go. For some of us, we're there right now. We say, yeah, you know, the New Year's resolution thing didn't really work out, and my optimism has fallen flat, and now there's another flare-up of COVID, or my team didn't make the playoffs, or, you know, the Cowboys lost again. Whatever it is going on in your life, you think, this is not a mountaintop right now. This is not a peak. I'm in the valley. Just know that God is there with you, and he's given you everything you need to get where he is sending you to go. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word that we're learning from Elijah and the other Bible characters that we're examining in this series how to trust you, not just on the mountaintops when everything is amazing and you're demonstrating your power to us, but in the valley where it's not as easy and people are against what you've spoken to us, but that we would be still 
and we would also communicate with you. God, we know that anytime we're in a valley, you're not hiding yourself from us, and we don't have to hide ourselves from you. We don't have to stop praying until we feel like we're righteous enough. We don't have to try and run away and say, well, I'll talk to God tomorrow because today was not a good day. You want to hear us. You didn't reprimand Elijah for him saying, I've had enough. I want to die. He was being honest with you, and you can handle our honesty. You can handle our mess. You can handle our frustrations. You can handle our emotions. You created us in our innermost being. Even the things that we don't say out loud because maybe we're ashamed that we even had that thought. Oh my gosh. Elijah trusted you enough to be brutally honest with you. And you trusted him enough to give him a calling and provision to fulfill that calling. God, whatever our students are going through, whatever our young people are facing, whether it is the victory season, whether it is the mountaintops and the peaks, or whether it is the valley, and we doubt and we're afraid and we're scared and we don't want to go on. God, this is too much for me. Well, of course it is, because we were never meant to go alone. God, I pray right now that you would bring people across their path to encourage them, just like you sent the angels to Elijah. I pray, Father, that they would look around and see the provision that you have given them, just as you fed Elijah. And I pray, God, that you would also give them, even like you've been stirring in my heart, strength to endure, strength to overcome, and peace that surpasses understanding. Whatever's going on in our bodies, whatever's going on in our minds, whatever's going on in our relationships, you are with us, God. You're not punishing us. You're not teaching us a lesson. You haven't left us. You are with us. And you give us everything we need to get where you're sending us to go. There is instruction. There's expectation. But we would never get there without your provision. God, we love you and we trust you in the peaks and in the valleys. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah. So we're going to keep going through this because, I mean, we keep going through it. So as always, if you need to catch up on this or any of our, of our archive messages, you can catch them at the YouTube link, youtube.com slash GNC Victoria. This will be up on Spotify and our Anchor channel as well, anchor.fm slash GNC Victoria. And we're going to do this uh, Valleys and Peaks for a few more weeks. It'll actually roll us right into Valentine's, speaking of Valleys and Peaks. And we are going to have a great time. So I'm going to go ahead and let you guys go, and we'll see you next time. But as always, please remember that I love you, and God loves you. I'm praying for you, and he is watching over you in all of the valleys and all of the peaks. We'll see you guys next time.